going to preach a standalone message today, and that means it's just not part of a series. Next week we have our missions weekend, and then we'll see where the Lord leads uh, as we heading up to the holidays. But I felt to do this message a few weeks ago, it, the Lord kind of dealt with me about this, and so today I'm going to be looking at John chapter 15, the first 11 verses, and I'm going to read them all, and then I will hopefully quickly work through those uh, today. John 15, verse number one, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear fruit more fruit. You are already clean, and I will just say pruned would be the proper translation here. It is the same word. You are already clean or pruned because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. So for just a little while, I'm going to preach from a one-word title, Abide. Abide. God bless you. You may be seated. I travel to St. Louis quite a bit, and as I travel to St. Louis, there in Blue Springs on the east side of the city, just off the highway on the south side of Interstate 70, there is what appears to be a, an apartment building that was started but never finished. The, the wood is, there's only plywood sheathing on the outside and the wood is becoming grayed with the weather and it's been there for a number of years. And, and, and I drive by and every time I drive by that place, I look at it and I'm like, what happened, that they would start this project and with such anticipation and such hope that they were going to have this apartment building that for the owners or the company or the individuals that owned it, it was going to generate revenue and it was going to be a great place to live. And, but it's not finished. In fact, it really appears that, as I said, they got the framing done, the outside sheathing of, of the building, and that's are the multiple buildings, and that's all 
I don't know if they ran out of money. Maybe something was wrong with the ground and the soil and they couldn't finish it because there was a problem. I don't know. But you look at that and you go, what happened? It started out so well. We go down to the plaza quite a bit. Anybody fans of the plaza? Most of the time we go to the plaza because we go to Chewy's, Tex-Mex. One of my favorite restaurants. And I'm still bitter that the one in Olathe closed before COVID and then the one in Overland Park closed during COVID. They told me, I had it on good authority, they were going to reopen one of those, and they haven't done it. They lied to me, and I'm still, I'm still hurting from that. But when I go to the plaza, there's a couple of different ways you can go from here. They're almost equal time, but I go on uh, the, just this side of Ikea, and now I can't think of the name of the road. <laughs> and yes, that, and, and as you go down that road and you're not too far off of Interstate 35 on the left side of the, the road there, past the Quick Trip and past the Steak and Shake, there is a white building that was started. The grass is growing up in the parking lot. It was some kind of at least two-story building, not wood, but some kind of concrete block, more than likely, and stuccoed, and the weeds are probably that high in the parking lot, and just disarray, a shell of a building that was started and not finished. And once again, every time I pass by that, my mind, I wonder what happened. What was it even going to be? I don't have any clue what they were trying to build there, but they started and didn't finish. The soil was was taken care of, and they would no doubt have brought in graders and topsoil and made sure everything was good and They began the construction and putting the foundation and putting the footers and all the the different parts that make up the foundation and pouring the concrete and the rebar and all of these things that it would take. And then they began the construction of the walls. And this building doesn't even have a roof. What is it that they were building? And how is it that they started this project? Spent probably hundreds of thousands, maybe upwards of a million on what they've got so far and just didn't finish. I would tell you that the finishing of a thing is better than the beginning. The Bible would tell us that, and I will quote the verse in just a moment, but as we look around us in our world, Christianity here in North America is on the decline. There is an increase in church closures. Even prior to the pandemic, the numbers from 2009 for 2019 already had more churches closing than were being started and so there was a considerable decline in the number of churches in North America specifically I guess in the United States the decrease in attendance has escalated 10 years ago average weekly attendance in churches in the United States was 130 And what that meant is that 50% of the churches had more than 130 in weekly attendance and 50% had less than 130. The current statistics are this, is that the median weekly average attendance is 65. Which means last week and for the last two or three months we have been in the top 50% of all churches in weekly attendance. And you can look around and go, man, there's not that many. That's pretty small. 
But what that is saying is this, is that as churches are closing and people go to church fewer times and fewer people go to church, that Christianity is on the decline. And that also means that by virtue of that, there is an increase of those who would call themselves non-religious. They say that they have no particular religion and they may or may not believe in some higher power, but if they do, they don't choose to to identify what that would be, just say there's a God out there somewhere, or maybe for many of them, and this is on the increase, there is no God at all. But this weekly attendance thing, it is indicative of people who have started out in some kind of relationship with God, but now they've decided that it's not really that important. That somewhere in the last 10 years, fewer and fewer people have decided and and are of the opinion that, that being a follower of Jesus is important at all. I referenced it already, but Ecclesiastes 7, 8, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. It is not enough to start well, but you and I must finish well. It's not enough for us to go out. There was a time when I followed Jesus, but when the end time comes and when the rapture takes place, it is imperative that we are still following Jesus. It can't be this is what I used to do and this is what I used to be as it relates to my relationship with Him, but I've got to still be following Him. I've got to still be walking with Him and I've got to still be serving Him and still in relationship with Him. My admonition to you up front at the beginning of this message is this, that whatever it takes, you have to stick with Jesus to make it to heaven. An old song, I'm not even sure the chord charts are out there, written by Doug Davis, for above all else, I must be saved. For above all else, I must be saved. Whatever you have to do to me, don't let me be lost for eternity. For above all else, I must be saved. And I would tell you that I'm so thankful for those who start. I teach Bible studies and people will come and they will, they will begin a relationship with Jesus. Some will repent and some will get filled with the Holy Ghost and some will be baptized. And that's all great. But it's called a new birth for a reason because it's just the beginning. And I'm way ahead of my message, but understand that it's the end of a thing that is more important than its beginning. Granted, you can't end well if you don't start well. You can't get to heaven by if you don't have a new birth, if you don't start out with Him. But starting out with Him doesn't guarantee you're going to make it all the way to the end. You have to commit that you are going to stick with Jesus. Our text, it uses the word abide numerous times. It is the title of the sermon that I am preaching today. And in our text, there are a number of truths about what it means to abide or why we should abide in Jesus. The first one is this, it is that abiding in Christ requires bearing fruit. You see this in verses 1 through 6, and my time is already half gone, but Jesus starts off with this I am statement. I've referenced the I am statements of Jesus before. It is the the Greek ego I me. 
two words, I am. It is these two words that were used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that when Moses went to the burning bush to see what this great sight was, to see why the bush was on fire but not being consumed. And as he talks with God in the midst of the burning bush, and he says, who do I say sent me? The answer comes back, I am that I am. Septuagint translates that as ego I me. That phrase is never used by Jews other than referring to God. They see it as holy, and in fact, the Jews of the Old Testament would not use God's name. They didn't take His name. They didn't call upon His name, and so they would use just the generic Lord instead of using His name, Yahweh, in the Old Testament. Jews today will not write G-O-D. If you see an Orthodox Jew that has written God out, what he will do is G-D because God is holy, and God is He's too holy for us to just write it down on a piece of paper. They use the Hebrew Adonai to refer to Him instead of His name. So when Jesus uses that phrase, Egoimi, what He's saying is He's claiming to be the same God that was in the burning bush. Now, I don't have time to go into all of this. I could spend all of our time on talking about how the, the distinction here as He's making of Son and Father and what does that mean, but just understand this. Father is referencing the omnipresent Spirit of God who is everywhere. And Jesus, or Son, in this passage is referring to that localized part of God which is walking around in human flesh. Apart from that human flesh, there is no Son. It is not that there is a Son and a Father who always existed and eternally were. But there is only the one eternal Spirit of God who existed everywhere at all time and who has revealed Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus would say, here, I am the true vine. Distinguishing that there is only one vine. Not a true vine, but there's only one. That all other vines are false. And and understand, you see it on the screen here, it's grapes growing here. It's a frequent allusion that Jesus makes in a metaphor that is used of the vines and the branches, the vine being the main grapevine and the branches that come off of that. He says, I am the vine, I am the source of everything else. The fruit grows on the branches, not on the vine. The branches are attached to the vine. He says, I am that true vine. And what he is saying is this, is that he is the source of our salvation. But also what he is saying is this, you are saved for a purpose. That you're, you're not just to be, I'm in the vine. Everything's good. But if you're in the vine, you have a purpose. And that abiding in Christ requires bearing fruit. That if you are really connected in to the vine, then you are going to bear fruit. It is the purpose of having the branches. It is not to look good. It's not just to have lice leaves, but it is to bear fruit. A grapevine without grapes is not of any value except to decorate people's houses in 2023. They weren't decorating their houses with grapevines. They had grapevines because they wanted grapes. And Jesus says, I am the true vine and everything else is false and you've got to be in me, but you, if you're in me, you have to bear fruit. 
the purpose of your salvation is to bear fruit. And what he says is this, is the failure to bring forth fruit means that you are going to be taken away. And there's more here than I can cover. But jumping down to verse 3, he says this, you have already been made clean or pruned by the word which I have spoken to you. Back in verse 2, he says, if you bear fruit that the Father, he will, he will prune you some more and take off some of the other pieces. Why? So you can bear more fruit. If I could tell you, here in this passage, the bearing of fruit is not that we are just to make more Christians like we are. That is part and parcel of what it means is we are to make disciples, we are to multiply ourselves, but more specifically what he's referring to here is that we are to bear fruit and to resemble Jesus more and more. And what he's doing is this, we're bearing some fruit, that the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, we're, we're having love and joy and peace and gentleness, faith, goodness, meekness, temperance. We have those in our lives, but we got, he wants us to have more of that, so he'll cut little things off and say, hey, you need to stop this, you need to start that. He's pruning us. And he says, you've already been pruned some by the Word, he said, but there, there's more pruning that's needed so you can bear the fruit like he wants you to bear. There are 30, 60, 100-fold Christians that he would say, and the way in which they're bearing fruit. And I don't want to just be 30 if he wants me to be 100. I want to bear all the fruit that he, can, he, can, he wants me to bear, which is to be made and conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But he said bearing fruit is only possible if we abide in him. This word abide it means to remain, to be connected in, It's a verb, the way in which it's used here, to abide. And you hear me talk about Greek linguistics, and it is a present, active verb. What that means is this, it's not that I used to abide, but it is a present, ongoing, abiding in Jesus. Which is why I started this talking about finishing is so important. It's not about whether we start, because way too many people start and they don't finish. Which means when you start walking with Jesus and you stop walking with Jesus, you are no longer abiding. I was with a friend of mine Friday morning. I've had this conversation with him before. And I hit him up with what I was preaching. He doesn't, he's not Pentecostal. He doesn't believe what we believe exactly. And so I'm really meeting with him in hopes of winning him to truth. Good guy who loves God. But he goes to a church, and there are many of them that would just say, well, as long as you had this one moment way back when, Everything's okay. It's really hard to read this passage with that truth or with that idea. Because if that's really true, what they're saying is that Jesus is wasting his, his words here. He's wasting his time. He's wasting the pages of Scripture. But he says you have to abide. Continual abiding. 
If it's not possible to not abide, then he's, he would say, since you're abiding. And since you can't do anything but abide, you might as well bring some fruit. But what he says is that you, if you're going to abide in me, you have to bring forth fruit. And if you don't bring forth fruit, that means you're not abiding in me. And if you're not doing that, you're going to be taken away. And he gets even more specific in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. It's what they would do to vines, to the branches that did not bear fruit. They would cut them off and they would throw them into the fire. And ultimately what Jesus is saying here is that was what is going to happen to those of us who stop abiding or we don't bear the fruit. Understand that abiding and bearing fruit go hand in hand. That if you really abide, you will bear fruit. If you're really walking with Jesus, your life will reflect that you're walking with Jesus. There's an old saying out there. I may have used it before. It says, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Could people look at your life and go, yep, they're a Christian. They walk different, they live different, they talk different, they think different. Their life is lining up with the Word of God. Or would it be, well, they say they're a Christian. They even go to church. But except for that one or two hours on Sunday, I'd never know that they were a Christian. Abiding in Christ, the positives results in answered prayer, Jesus would say in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus puts a condition on the answer to prayer that it is conditional if you abide. Not a sense you are abiding Not as some would say, if you don't abide, you can ask what you will. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and this is a key phrase that he brings here, that if you're abiding in him, then guess what? His words will abide in you. That a relationship with Jesus is tied to his words. Doing what he says and following what he says and knowing what he says, which is why Jesus can say this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will and it will be done for you. Why is that? Because same thing that James would say is if you ask anything according to his word, he hears us. And if he hears us, we have whatsoever we ask of him. So if I know what His Word says, then my prayer is in alignment with His Word. That I'm not asking amiss, as James would say, but I'm asking in alignment with what His Word says I can have and what His Word says I should have and what His Word says I should expect from Him. That when I abide in Him and His words in me, then I pray according to His Word. And if I'm praying according to His Word, I'm praying according to His will. And He hears me and He gives us whatever we ask of Him. 
Aren't you thankful that God is a God who answers prayer, that all we have to do is know His Word and be abiding in Him and His words abiding in us, and we can pray and have whatever it is we desire because we pray in accordance with His will, in accordance with His Word. The third thing is this in verse 8, abiding in Christ brings God glory. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And I don't have time to fully expand this. I've got one minute on my timer. But God is glorified when we bear fruit and people can say, look, that's some, look what God has done. And the greater the testimony, I would say the more glory God gets. You heard Jackson Case last week talk about how he was, he was an alcoholic and he's on drugs and God brought him back and God's like, hey, look what I can do to some, for somebody like that. How I can bring them out of all that and I can deliver them out of all of that and they can serve me and follow me and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bearing fruit in righteousness and holiness. And God is glorified in that and that is not to tell you to go out and have a good testimony. There are those, well, I don't have a good testimony. I was never on drugs and I was never on this or that. The greatest testimony is, hey, I've been serving God all my life and he kept me. That I, com- I was committed to him and he kept me from doing all of these other things. You heard a piece of my testimony. I'll just throw it in here. I was raised in church. My dad's a preacher, pastor. Age of 15, in one night in the dorms, 14 people get the Holy Ghost. And God was leading me, and I'm just walking around, and you've heard this story. And I'd look at people, and I would know whether they had the Holy Ghost or not. Lay hands on them after asking them, do you want the Holy Ghost? God filled 14 people by the time I made it around dorm two. And then four months later, got my driver's license and was seeing what all the drinking and everything else, all the other people that I was hanging out with were doing. Times I could have died. Times I probably should have died. And God's grace. But it would be so much better at the age of 15 when I saw all what God was doing, the things that I could have missed, I missed out on because I walked away from God for a period of time in my life. The greater testimony is not how He delivered you from sin, but how He keeps us from it. So don't go looking for some great testimony. If you follow Jesus, you've got a great testimony. Because all of us were lost and undone and in need of salvation. All of us were undone and lost and needed God to work in our lives. But it brings Him glory. Abiding in Christ, verses 9 and 10. And Anna, you can go ahead and come. It includes love. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. He says, this is what you're to do, abide in my love. And then he says, this is how you do it in verse 11. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That you can say, yeah, I'm abiding in His love. Jesus says, 
you really want to abide in His love, keep His commandments. If you keep His commandments, then I can say, yeah, you're abiding in His love. But if you say, I'm abiding in His love, but you're doing everything but keeping His commandments, all you're doing is talking. It matters how we live. It matters how we walk in this life. God has called us to be different. Not for the sake or the purpose of being different. but He has called us to be different because He is holy. And we live in an unholy world. And everything in our culture that is unholy those are the things that we keep at arm's length and say, I'm, I'm not doing those things. I'm not drinking. I'm not doing drugs. I'm not doing immorality. The world does all of that, but Jesus says, live differently. The world says, get back at those who do wrong. Jesus says, love your enemy. Do good to those who despitefully use you. It's not my nature. That's why He wants us to bear fruit. He's working on changing our nature. That He's calling us to live different. Not to be bitter. Not to be vindictive. Not to be immoral. Not to be drunkards. If you love me, He would say, keep my commandments. But here He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And lastly, abiding in Christ results in joy. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be made full. That's multifaceted. Follow me closely and quickly if you can. That Jesus says He has joy because of us. That He's There's joy that He has because we are following Him and we are serving Him. It is why Jesus would say, or the Bible would say of Jesus that He endured the cross, despising the shame because of the joy that was set before Him. Jesus didn't need to go to the cross for His sin. He went to the cross for my sin. He went to the cross for your sin. He didn't need to go to the cross so that He could be seated at the right hand of the throne. He went to the cross so that He could have a whole lot of people gathered around the throne saying, Holy, Holy, Holy. That we are the joy that He has when we follow Him and serve Him. And He says, I'm telling you all this so that my joy may be in you in you because you are following Him and in you because when you follow Him you get joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. Jason, you get that joy when you you wake up and things are just different. They just look different. Why are you so joyful? I don't know. Just because God is good. Why aren't you affected by this negative thing? I got the joy of the Lord. 
He gives me strength. How can you make it and how can you endure? Because His joy is my strength. And, and what Jesus is saying, I want you to abide with me so you make it to heaven. So I'm going to have joy. And I'm telling you this so you will abide so that you get to heaven and you live with me forever. It is not a temporary joy and it is not an incomplete joy. I used to have joy. I don't have it. No, He's given us joy that if we abide in Him, we will continue to have joy, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Because if we abide in Him, we will make it to heaven. We will see heaven and Jesus will be our King and heaven will be our home. If you're thankful for that, would you stand and give God praise right now? We thank you, Jesus, for the joy that is before us that is an eternity with you. I'm not going to do the synopsis. I'd encourage you to go into the the Bible app or the church app and look at that in the sermon notes. But let me close with just a few things. Understand, and I've said it already, the new birth is the beginning. It's not, I've experienced a new birth. I'm checking off the box. I got the t-shirt. We give out t-shirts when you get baptized. If you didn't get one, come see me. But having the t-shirt that says Cross Church or having a t-shirt that says, hey, I've experienced a new birth, that's not a ticket to heaven. That's entrance into the kingdom. That's entrance into this relationship with Him. But you got to abide. you got to stick with Him. But you can't stick with Him if you don't start, so you got to start. And you start by committing to following Him and turning from your sin, repenting. Repentance is what the Bible calls it. Going down in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus for the washing away, forgiveness of your sins, and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit evidence and speaking in a language you don't know. That's all essential. But it's not enough to start. You have to abide. Paul would have a great salvation experience Acts chapter 9, and I'm closing with this. This great encounter with God as He is struck down with the great light and He is blinded and scales grow over His eyes. Maybe like instant cataracts, I don't know exactly how it works or how it worked then. He goes to the house of Ananias, or Ananias comes to where he is and he prays for him and scales fall off his eyes. He's saved. He has this great conversion experience and he tells his testimony throughout the book of Acts. He has this great ministry and he writes 13 of the epistles, the letters, the books of the New Testament. The missionary to the Gentiles. He comes down near the end of his life. Second Timothy is his final letter. He is in a jail in Rome awaiting execution. He would say this, I have finished my course. I have kept Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which
which the Lord at that day is going to give. But not to me only, but to all who love His appearing. He doesn't say to Timothy, hey, let me tell you one more time about my testimony about how I started. He told that to kings and he told that to people all over the world. But when it comes down to the end of his life, he's not, let me tell you that how I got saved way back when. But he says this, I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. I could have walked away a lot of times. I, I, could, I could get out of this jail cell right now. All I have to do is give up the faith. All I have to do is turn my back on Jesus and they're not going to cut my head off. All I have to do is recant. He said, I have finished my course. I've done everything he's wanted me to do. It's come down to the end. He would say in another verse, I'm poured out like a drink offering. My life, I just gave it all to him. It's like taking a, this bottle of water. And they, they were drink offerings in Hebrew custom. And some you would things you would kill and put on the on the altar and you would burn up and other things you would say hey this is what God has provided and you pour it out as a drink offering he says that's the way my life has been I've just poured it all out for him I've abided in Christ I started really poorly I was killing Christians but he saved me and I had a great ministry and I wrote a lot of stuff and God has used me but he says I'm still abiding I have finished my course and I have kept the faith. And only because of that is there laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. My admonition to you today is this. Don't just start well. Don't just say everything's good. I've experienced a new birth. I repented. I'm starting on this journey. Don't just say, I've been baptized, I got the Holy Ghost. It's only the beginning. But He is calling us to abide in Him and to bring forth fruit. And that every day and every week that goes by, we're bringing more and more fruit and we're more and more like Jesus Christ. If that's your desire today, to continue to abide in Him and to bring forth more fruit and become more and more like Jesus, I invite you just for a few minutes. I know it's late. But would you come around the front of this building for just a couple of minutes and would you surrender your heart one more time to God? Would you lift your hands and your hearts and your voice and say, God, I'm going to serve you all of my days. God, I'm never walking away. I'm going to finish my course. I'm going to keep the faith. I'm going to abide in you forever. We thank you, Lord, because of what you've done and how you've started us on this journey. But God, we're going to follow you. We're going to continue to walk in relationship with you. We're going to continue to serve you. We're going to continue to to read your word and study your word and we're going to continue to show up at your house. We thank you, Jesus.